Hello and welcome. My name is Robert Buffard and this is the Robert's Thoughts MovieCast. Today I'm joined by Aaron Schweitzer from SifPop.com and the host of the brand new podcast, The SifPop Writer's Room. Aaron, how you doing? I'm doing pretty good. And you? Yeah, I'm doing great. Uh, thanks for coming on. Thanks for coming on. We're going to talk about the new Planet of the Apes trilogy. Well, this is the second time I've said new. The recent Planet of the Apes trilogy. Um, it's a few years old at this point. But before we get into that, since Aaron, this is the first time you're a guest by yourself. You were here when we did the best Star Wars trilogy episode. Uh, we're going to do some get to know you questions that we didn't have time for last time. Cool. So number one, how did you get into movies? Uh, it was really in high school. I had this movie friend of mine who was uh, an adult friend of mine, and he uh, he had been a lover of movies for years, and he really brought out that in me. What I really what I realize about movie friends is that movie friends help one another discover their passion for movies, and he helped me discover that I had probably seen hundreds of movies at that point and wide varieties and just kind of really made me brought that out in me. And so I just decided to embrace that. And, and, you know, it was towards the end of high school. So I kind of, kind of formed that to my college years and really decided to to study what movies look like. Nice. So then since you have seen all these movies, can you give us three that can help us understand your tastes in general? Yeah. um, So number one is going to be the nice guys. It's one of my favorite movies of all time and it grows on the list every single time. I think it's smart. It's witty. It's hilarious. The characters are so lovable. I, I, I think that is a movie that per- perfectly encapsulates the mood that I like. The perfect kind of mood of a movie that I want to watch most days. Um, and Blade Runner twenty forty nine is another one. So uh, going it for a double dip in the Ryan Gosling pool. But I, I think Blade Runner twenty forty nine is really interested in asking deep philosophical questions, specifically about identity. And I love movies that are willing to explore that. I love movies that are willing to uh, to be a piece of philosophy rather, and, and, and a piece of art at the same time. And three would be Gone Baby Gone. And I picked that one because Gone Baby Gone really, first of all, the crime aspect, aspect of it is really interesting. But also Gone Baby Gone is just such a morally conflicting movie that it's a movie you can't just watch and leave it alone you have to talk about it with people and those are the kind of movies that are just the best to me yeah i i agree with you um i like gone baby gone a lot and i've only seen blade runner 2049 once and i wasn't a huge fan of it but since you brought up the ryan gosling aspect of it this is a good time for a little teaser that you'll be on again in a few months we're gonna be talking about ryan gosling and i'll be watching blade runner again so hopefully we'll get a good conversation on that uh, so next, what is the best thing that you've seen recently? Uh, just for fun, what's the best thing you've seen recently? Yeah, you know, it's it's been a couple months, but I just can't stop thinking about Sing Street. It was a movie that I had never heard of before until I heard a ton of people talking about it. It takes place in Ireland, and it's about some high schoolers that make a band to impress some chicks, and it's it's really heartfelt. It's really funny, and the soundtrack is just incredible. And I don't want to tell you much about it. I just want you to experience it. Nice. I, I'm realizing that I might actually like musicals more than I realized. So I'm sure I'll check that one out at some point. It's it's not like full blown musical. Like they interweave the songs into like it makes sense narratively. So right. it's not it's not like uh, like La La Land or Les Mis. It's it's very much like uh, oh we got a performance coming up, and so they have a new song mm-hmm. with each performance. So nice. Uh, I'll definitely get to that at some point. 
Cool. Uh, so lastly, let's do some this or that questions. If you've listened to the podcast before, you know that they're just quick questions. I'll give you a this or that, and then you'll say the first thing that comes to your mind, and maybe you can explain why. So number one, Star Wars or Marvel? Oh, man, that's the that's number one and number two. Uh, probably Star Wars because it's it's so different than anything else that's out there. And I can't say the same thing about Marvel. Yeah, fair. Comedy or drama? Uh, number one and number two again. Probably, probably drama because I feel like they hit. There's more percentage-wise, dramas tend to be better than comedies, and comedy is subjective anyway. True. Yep. Lastly, blockbuster movies or indie movies? Blockbusters. I there's something about the big draw that gets me, and I think that. Uh, not that I don't love indie movies, but I am much more excited about Tenet than anything else this year. So, Yeah, nice. So unfortunately for you, those answers are legally binding and you're never allowed to change your opinion um, because that's the nature of opinions. No, just kidding, obviously. <laughs> uh, um, so yeah, great. Now that we know Aaron a little bit better, let's get on to talking about the meat of our episode, which is Planet of the Apes. Um I had never seen the original Planet of the Apes. I think there's five original movies made during the 60s and 70s. Um, I had never seen them when Rise of the Planet of the Apes came out in 2011. But like you were just talking about with blockbusters, they're normally pretty accessible. So that's pretty much the reason that I went to see it. Uh, I would go to see any franchise action movie like that around that time. Um, and I, I really enjoyed Rise of the Planet of the Apes. It was fine. I like James Franco actually in that movie. And of course, since I'm such a big Lord of the Rings fan, um, seeing Andy Serkis being able to bring any other character to life is always appealing for me. Um, yeah, and to this day, I've since seen Dawn a few times and seen War a few times, and I love all three of them. Um, not quite equally, we'll get into that, but I think that they're all legitimately great movies and underrated as a unit. Um, Aaron, how were you introduced to the Planet of the Apes movies? Um it's, it's a really simple story of I was at Target and just in the movie section and I saw a couple movies on sale. So I remember it was Rise of the Planet of the Apes and Contagion. And they were both like completely new movies and they were on sale for nine bucks. And I figured, what the heck? You know, I've heard some good things, uh, but I mean, I really only heard like one or two people say some good things. So uh, I picked it up. I had never seen a Planet of the Apes movie before, but these aren't typically my kind of movies, especially like the older ones. Like I don't... It's definitely really not my kind of movie, but I picked it up and I, I popped it in and I instantly fell in love. I, I, I thought it was so emotional and so human and just thematically is really powerful. And of course, you go into the motion capture and even Rise looks stellar. And that was released in 2011, I think. Yep. So it, it's really uh, it, was, it was a really unique experience for me, and it was one that I wanted to get back to. From then, I was a fan. After Rise, I saw the original Planet of the Apes, although that's the only one I've seen besides this trilogy. I just I don't care to see any of them. I, I'm specifically told not to not to watch the Mark Wahlberg one, and just any of the sequels are supposed to severely drop in quality, so I'm, I'm just not interested in them. And I think the first original Planet of the Apes is just okay. Mm -hmm. If you know the ending, it kind of ruins it. Yeah, that I actually watched that movie for the first time last night to kind of prepare for this and get some context um, that I might not have had before. And of course, I knew the ending because it's one of the most famous cinematic endings. Um, so the whole time, every, the mystery was gone and 
that's the unfortunate part about having something old and right iconic like that spoiled. I I I was I, I didn't discover that that was supposed to be a twist until about halfway through the movie. I'm like, oh, I'm not supposed to know that this is Earth. Got it. Right. Yeah. I I still think the movie is good. Um, I think it's more uh, straightforwardly philosophical than the other ones are, than the newer ones are. Sure. Because those kind of masquerade as action movies, you know, popcorn blockbuster movies. But that one has more, you know, talking and thinking about life and evolution than uh, than action scenes. Yep. But you said you hadn't seen the Mark Wahlberg, right? Correct. Yeah, I'm normally interested in world building. So I think I will at some point watch two through five of the original Planet of the Apes movies. But what I also realized is that these newer ones aren't direct prequels, which I always thought they were. They're kind of prequels, but also kind of not. It, they're, they're like the timelines all get messed up and weird. they're like rebooted prequels, right? Right. Yeah. They're okay. still connected, but not in the same way that Star Wars is, has the prequels to the originals. Um, but anyway, I haven't seen the Mark Wahlberg version either. I'm not a big fan of his or Tim Burton's. Um, so when it, is those two guys with a universally panned movie, then I just kind of think might as well stay away. Yep. So then let's get on to talking about the ones that we do love. What would be your ranking of Rise, Dawn, and War? Uh, are you asking me which one is the best? Or are you asking me which one? I have all three of them. Which one am I going to choose to watch more? Which one is more watchable or which one is better? Let's go with watchable because that's more subjective. Uh, I pick war and it's, it's something I didn't really realize until I recently watched the trilogy again. It's, it's so watchable. It's so, you don't need necessarily any context. The characters are so rich uh, and it's, it's your basic, or it's not your basic, but it's, it's a fairly similar structure. There's not anything necessarily magical going on with the story elements, but it, there's there's something about it that's just so special and frankly it just hits me in the feels a little bit harder than the rest of them and i think thematically it is maybe the most important movie uh, dawn and rise i think are equal to me uh, nice. I, I i have a hard time saying that one is better than the other which i know usually the answer is dawn i just same thing like with batman begins in the dark knight i, I can't pick one over the other totally fair um yeah, so for me, I would probably go Dawn is number one, or Dawn is my favorite. Um, and then like you were just saying, I would say War and uh, Rise are interchangeable, depending on the mood that I'm in, because War is definitely more contemplative about life, about war, um, about a lot of stuff. It's a slower movie. Um, the mood of the, of the series definitely changed once Matt Reeves took over as director, um, which isn't a bad thing. Um, but I just, sometimes I'm not necessarily in the mood for that sort of movie and rise is, you know, like we were talking about the typical, uh, blockbuster fair with, where you can sit down, eat some popcorn. You don't have to play, pay complete attention, you know, to, to understand the themes and tr- what it's trying to do. You can just, uh, watch the, watch the action, which is really great as is the CGI, as is Andy circus. And, um, I would go to say, this is probably James Franco's best performance, um, though I haven't seen 127 hours, and I don't think I can because I know what happens at the end of that movie. Um, 
but I've heard he's great in that one. I think I'd agree. Um, yeah, this is objectively his best movie. Yeah. And I'm not saying he's bad. I like James Franco, actually. Um, but I think he just does something different, and he does it really well in this one. It's his first, like, well, it's not It's not his first because 127 hours, but it was my first exposure to completely serious James Franco because even when he was in a more serious role, something like uh, the original Spider-Man trilogy, he brought a, he brought a goofball aspect to it just, a, just mm-hmm. a little bit, as much as they would allow him. Yeah, um... It sounds like we're both James Franco fans, so we're not really trying to knock him. We're just saying he's great in this one. Yeah. Um, So, yeah, let's get on to talking about each one of the movies uh, specifically. So Rise of the Planet of the Apes came out in 2011, and it has a 7.6 on IMDb, 68 Metacritic, 82 Rotten Tomatoes critics, and 77 audience score. Uh, The IMDb synopsis reads... A substance designed to help the brain repair itself gives advanced intelligence to a chimpanzee who leads an ape uprising. And that's pretty much everything you need to know. Um, there's a lot that there's a lot that goes on in this one. And I think, like we've talked about, I think it's really good. Um, I, But what bothers me about it, since we've given a, a bunch of positives already, I'm going to get into what makes me uncomfortable. But this is just kind of something about movies in general that makes me uncomfortable, which is... Anytime there's some sort of animal abuse or mistreatment, it just always makes me uncomfortable. Like, I, I really wanted to like uh, Bong Joon-ho's Okja, but I, man, that one, that one's tough to watch. Um, they're not obviously bad movies, but for me, anytime I see like an animal or a kid or someone who just doesn't have control over the situation being mistreated or being taken, being taken away from people they care about you know, just any, any sort of situation like that, it always, you know, hurts me in a way that, um, other, other things in movies don't necessarily make me feel. Um, so that, that makes it kind of tough for me to watch at some points, but overall, I think this is a great start. Andy Serkis, um, continues to show that he's a great motion capture actor and a great actor in general. Um, I'm excited to see him play Alfred in the Batman in 2021 because there he is, no motion capture, hopefully, unless he's mo-capping as Michael Caine or something. Um, so, yeah, I, I really love Rise. Do you have any specific thoughts on this one? No, I, uh, I, w- I would agree with you. The, the animal abuse part is, is really hard to watch, but at the same time, I think it's necessary for character development. It's necessary for where they want to take the story. I, I buy into Caesar becoming the way that he is because he sees how humans treat apes and it, it it's it's really hard to watch especially the opening where they they put down all the apes and it's it's heartbreaking it's uh especially the more you grow to learn and or to see and love caesar it's really hard just to see everybody else put down because you you feel and empathize with caesar so much that the interesting thing about these movies is that humans are definitely the antagonists it's very similar to westworld where they're like, we're going to give you a show where we're going to have something that's almost human. And we're going to give you like, that is the protagonist. You you don't want the humans to get away with what they're doing. And I, I'm not by any means an animal rights activist, but this movie kind of makes me want to be a little bit. And um, this movie is also especially hard to watch. I watched this like right when quarantine started and it was really hard to watch because of the pandemic aspects of it, especially we, I watched 
Rise of Dawn back to back with my wife, and especially the beginning of Dawn, like this looks like maybe a page out of a history book in the future. Yep. It's yep. it's really uh, it's really bleak. It's really um, saddening, and it's it's they did a pretty good job being accurate ten years ago. Yeah, it's pretty surprising, and we actually put off recording this episode by a couple of weeks because we wanted it to be as of the moment as possible because um, this Planet of the Apes trilogy somehow all of a sudden is pertaining to many different things that, it's, that are going on in the world right now, whether it's racism um, or obviously the pandemic like you were talking about. Um, and we'll definitely get into that once we talk about the themes, but I'm, I'm glad you brought that up because um, that's a huge part of the movie. Um, and I think it, it really makes it what it is and it grounds it in a way that uh, a lot of other sci-fi movies don't seem to be grounded, or a lot of other mainstream sci-fi movies, I should say. Um, and this one, the, these movies are mainstream, but they also do a good job of going against the mainstream grain, uh, which I really love. And I do want to clarify real quick. I, I completely agree that the anim- animal abuse scenes totally serve the story. And this and Okja, which is the other example I gave, um, Either way, I, I understand that it's important for the story. It's just still tough for me to watch sometimes. So let's move on to the 2014 movie Dawn of the Planet of the Apes. 7.6 on IMDb, 79 Metacritic, 91 uh, tomato meter score, and 88 with the audience. The IMDb synopsis reads, A growing nation of genetically evolved apes led by Caesar is threatened by a band of human survivors of the devastating virus unleashed a decade earlier. So yeah, this one takes place about 10 years after rise of the planet of the apes where so much of humanity has been has been wiped out by the by the simian flu um i'm pretty sure that's how they refer to it in the movies um there's a group of survivors in the san francisco area and they think they might be the only people left and they're trying to get power through a dam um so that they can send out signals trying to reach anyone else um and like you said this one really kind of tries to predict the future. Um, maybe inadvertently, I don't know. But it it portrays a reality where apes are now probably the more uh, prevalent species over humans. And humans are completely fighting for survival. Um, it's a completely different feel from, from Rise, but it has the through line of Caesar being the main character. Um, and I think that's what really ties the three movies together because each one is so separate in feel and in tone. Um, but they have the same main character who's just still trying to accomplish the same goal all the way through. Um, so this is, this is where I think it really drives home how important Caesar is. And I don't think that there's any chance of him dying, you know, even though he gets shot and you think he's dead, it's kind of the, the situation where you know that he's not actually gone. He's going to, he's going to come back and lead the uprising against Koba and uh, save the apes. Um, and we should mention now spoilers for all three movies. Sorry if we already spoiled <laughs> rise, but spoilers for all three planet of the apes movies. Um, but this one is where they introduce Jason Clark and Gary Oldman. Gary Oldman's not in it as much as I remembered. I think I've seen it four or five times now. And, most recent time I watched it, I was like, man, I thought he was in this more. 
but I really love this Jason Clark performance because he's known more. Well, anytime I've seen him, he's more of the, you know, the jerk, the, the tough guy, the gruff kind of guy uh, that, you know, who has a mind of his own, but here he's really empathetic. He's really soft and gentle. Uh, He's really understanding and he's a great avatar for us as the audience, a great human avatar. Um, And this one's definitely my favorite. I think it's the easiest watch from beginning to end. Um, What do you think about Dawn? I think it's great. I think Matt, Matt Reeves is directing the crap out of this movie. I think that there's a lot of really interesting thematic things going on. I think it's interested in asking different questions than Rise was. And a lot of that is, is due to the fact that it's a different writer than Matt Reeves. Even I, I was reading the history of this movie and it even he had to re- re- completely rewrite it a couple months before shooting. And that's just a miracle because this looks like it was planned out years in advance. So I, I think that Jason Clark is a great human character. There was for the longest time me missing that James Franco character and I, I, I mean, this is maybe a, as good a time to bring it up as any, but do you wish they would have had like at least connecting human characters? Because who, anybody in Rise is not in Dawn and anybody in Dawn is not in War. And obviously right. anybody in Rise is not in War. Do you, I mean, do you almost wish they would have done that? Or do you think it's better just having the apes being the only carryovers? Yeah, I'm glad you brought this up because um, I wouldn't have thought of it, actually. I, I'm really fine with how they do it because like i was saying i think caesar is the center he's the main piece of the whole thing so he's the one whose story we're following over the three movies i remember when i either when i first saw it or when i first saw that james franco wasn't going to be in it i was like "Uh, maybe i don't want you know maybe i'm not as interested um because i would have been interested to see where the movie picked up with his story along with caesar's story but then after I saw Dawn, I think that was totally gone from my mind. I haven't thought about wishing James Franco was in it or wishing Jason Clark was in war at all because yeah. you you see how those characters impacted Caesar and who he becomes because I like that they go back to James Franco's house in in Dawn and they, and they see the recording of him teaching Caesar. Um, and I like he has an understanding of humans being good in war because of his experience with Jason Clark and, and Carrie Russell and their son or Jason Clark's son. Um, so yeah, I don't really miss the human characters as the, as the series goes on. I mean, I think it leaves a little bit of a disconnect for me between each movie, but at the same time, like I said earlier, the, the humans are not meant to be the characters we're supposed to root for. And I think, as I, as I look back, I mean, there is a natural progression of humans getting worse, and that's because of the, the pandemic from the simian flu, and that's because of uh, they, they've seen, they, they know what the apes are capable of, because apes are incredibly strong, and these ones are particularly smart, and I mean, the, it's, it's pretty ambiguous, but there could have been previous encounters with different apes, and there's a, it's just, the first movie is so focused on it's a little bit lighter of a movie which is weird because it has the, the animal abuse in it but it's a little bit lighter it's a little bit like tonally um more yeah i don't know i don't know the way to say light and and it progressively gets darker and you can see that in the human characters because everybody all the human characters are optimists you have james franco who's just trying to find a cure for alzheimer's and you have uh, john lithgow and you have the the I don't know her name, but the the female 
lead in Rise of the Planet of the Apes. And you have you have mostly optimistic people, and even the the director of uh, the company that James Franco works for slipping my mind at the moment. Genesis, uh, Genesis? yeah, Genesis. Yeah. Uh, he even he is an optimist, but he's motivated by money, and it's everybody's still really optimistic about what's going on. Whereas Dawn, you have Jason Clark, who's who's willing to be an optimist, and you have Carrie Russell, and you have the kid. Uh, I don't know his name, but her son. And you have them, and but then you also have them with. Um, I know the actor's name. I'm just going to pronounce it wrong. It's Kirk Acevedo, something like that. And he is the guy that brings the gun into the camp and winds up almost getting the. He's the primary antagonist, human antagonist to me, because uh, Gary Oldman is billing that one. But like this guy just makes some dumb mistakes. He's the reason why they're in that position. And, and then, like I said, you have Gary Oldman, who's pretty afraid of the apes. And uh, it's you can see a little bit of of grimness in in the attitude towards the apes. And, of course, in war, everybody, all the humans just want them dead. And yeah. it doesn't matter who they are. It doesn't matter what their purpose is. Everybody's just afraid of the apes. So uh, maybe maybe that's why I like war the most. Maybe it's why... Maybe it's done on purpose. I don't know. I just I, with separate groups of people, you get that. If it would have been James Frank or all three, I don't think you get that. Right, and that's actually a good segue into war because I think if I am remembering correctly, Woody Harrelson is pretty much the only human character that has any lines. Um, there's Nova, obviously, but she can't speak, right. and then there's some faceless uh, soldiers. Um, but yeah, War came out in 2017, 7.4 on IMDb, 82 Metacritic, 94 Rotten Tomatoes, 84 Audience. Um, IMDb synopsis, after the apes suffer unimaginable losses, Caesar wrestles with his darker instincts and begins his own mythic quest to avenge his kind. And this is the one where you th- you think of a movie called War for the Planet of the Apes is going to be this huge epic conclusion, but I think the story just progressively gets smaller with each movie. Um, it's pretty far reaching with the pandemic that's spreading across the entire world in, in rise. Um, you know, they have a lot of world building groundwork to lay in the first one with getting to know the chimps, getting to know, you know, everything that makes them tick and getting to understand the, the pandemic that wipes out humans while also getting to know how it affects apes. And then, Dawn, like we said, changes tone with Matt Reeves directing. Um, it's also a fairly small story. It doesn't leave um, the one area of the forest and the, the their camp in San Francisco. And then War is the same thing. It's pretty much just a, a prisoner of war movie. Um, I wrote down here that it, it's a good World War II movie, actually, <laughs> with yeah. people you know, imprisoned, being forced to do work. Uh, at the threat of their life um, with little to no sustenance being provided and absolutely no warmth being shoved their way from their captors. Um, I, I think this one's pretty remarkable for what it does. Like I said, it's you'd expect something big and bombastic, but pretty much it just has that one ending action sequence uh, where Caesar's running away from explosions and they have to escape an avalanche. But other than that, there's not a lot of big stuff going on. It's really asking questions about humanity and about war 
and about, you know, understanding other points of view. Um, so I, I really appreciate it for everything that it does there. What do you think about the last one? Obviously, it's your favorite one, but can you go deeper into that? Yeah, um, I I think it's my favorite because of exactly what you said. It's it's a war movie, but it's interested in asking the questions about war, and it's interested in in human reaction as opposed to anything else. Like Rise and Dawn don't necessarily explore human reaction. Uh, war definitely focuses on that, especially with this Alpha Omega. And there's a lot of new things that are brought in to this. I know you want to talk about it later, but uh, Winter and and just uh, the apes that they label Donkey and humans enslaving apes for their purpose is like a new concept. Also, the uh, the growth and the 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 evolution of the disease to make it uh, to make it different, to make it more effective, to make it reach a wider audience, to to even lead them to you see humans fighting humans initially because anybody that contracts this this more aggressive stage of simian flu they they kill they shoot them in the head and they leave them in the snow and and when you find out that alpha omega the group that woody harrelson is leading when you find out that they are actually about to come be attacked by some humans and that's why they're using the apes to defend themselves i mean that's there's some really powerful themes there about human ver- humans versus humans and humans not being able to get over their hatred and fear of other humans, even when there's this global pandemic that's wiped out 70% of the population at this point. And it's it's even mutating. That was the word I was looking for. And it's even mutating to to get a little um, a little bit more effective and and turn them into to dumb people. I also think it, this is... It's really great because it doesn't end on this big bombastic, bombastic, grand scale fight. Like it isn't, it isn't like it is in Dawn, where it's like here we're gonna have this big action movie end piece. I mean, it does have that, but when when Caesar goes to confront Woody Harrelson, he's already gone, and it, it's it, there's a lot of poetic justice in that moment. And, uh, this this uh, I, I talked about the other things as adding. Mean, this adds might be my favorite character from the whole trilogy, which is Bad Ape, voiced by C- voiced in um, motion captured by Steve Zahn. So he's another character that has a lot of lines in the movie. You were referring to that earlier. He's he's one of my favorites. He's such an interesting character to me. Uh, I I think also just visually, this movie is the most beautiful. In addition, like not just for the apes, but also for the environments. I think. We're gonna talk. We wanted to talk about it later, but I mean, cinematography for this movie is just absolutely mm-hmm. outstanding. Yeah. And the the last thing I'll, that I'll say about this movie is this movie is not afraid to take risks. It's like choosing to kill Caesar's wife and his son in the beginning of the movie, I just I never I, I really didn't think that Matt Matt Reeves had the guts for that. And I, I think the movie is so good for that because all of a sudden they're like they just killed these two people. They just killed Blue Eyes and Cornelius, and, or Cornelia. Sorry. Not Cornelius, right? Yeah. How? Who else is potentially going to die by the end of this movie? Everybody's on the table. Maurice and Rocket and Caesar himself. Like anybody could die at any given moment because of the intro that's set up. Yeah, um, I think you pretty much captured everything there. Um, one response I did have was maybe this does Game of Thrones better than Game of Thrones did Game of Thrones. <laughs> um, I don't know if you're a fan of that show, but the whole thing about there being something existential that humans can't pay attention to, can't 
bond together to to combat together instead they're just fighting themselves um yeah that's that's the whole message that game of thrones is trying to send for most of the the show at least um so yeah in the context of trilogies cinematic trilogies i don't think that any there yes in the context of cinematic trilogies there are other trilogies that do a great job of having three great movies um Obviously, for me, Lord of the Rings comes to mind. But normally, you'll just see great number one, uh, great number two, and then maybe just good or not very good number three. With uh, Planet of the Apes, it arguably just gets better as it goes. Um, So I think I want to talk about trilogies in general just for a quick minute because I think this Planet of the Apes trilogy is extremely underrated in the conversations of best movie trilogies. If you look, you'll see Godfather, you'll see Lord of the Rings, the original Star Wars, the Dark Knight trilogy, that sort of thing. But almost never do you see this one mentioned, and I really, really am confused by that. Um, For me, some of my favorites are Lord of the Rings, the Dark Knight trilogy, and How to Train Your Dragon. And I have a hard time... um, counting trilogies such as Toy Story 1 through 3 or Indiana Jones 1 through 3 or Pirates of the Caribbean 1 through 3 because those all have other ones that come after. Um, and that frustrates me because with something like The Hobbit or the the Star Wars prequels, they're telling completely separate stories, but these ones kind of carry on from the other stories. So whenever I see Indiana Jones is a better trilogy than Planet of the Apes, I always kind of contest that. Especially when Indiana Jones has the Temple of Doom. I mean, that movie's just garbage. Yeah, I don't like Temple of Doom at all. Um, yeah, since I've been rambling about trilogies, let's see what you have to say. Yeah, uh, what I found when I was thinking about my favorite movie trilogy, which, first of all, for, for years, ever since War came out, I've said this is the best movie trilogy there's ever been. And what I found when when looking, like, what compares, you know, for, you have... You have the Star Wars trilogies and, you know, for every A New Hope or for every Empire, there's a Return of the Jedi. And it's just it's it's good, but it's not great. And that's 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 generous for most movie trilogies, because Back to the Future Part Three is just not very good. But one and two, I really enjoy. And uh, and and I even look at other movie trilogies and there's always there's always a drop off. And, mm-hmm. you know, I, it, it's it's just really interesting to look at and there's also so many movie trilogies that for some reason don't stop at three like you were just talking about like there, there's i'm all here for it but there's no reason to have a john wick four and if it was just john wick one two and three i mean maybe that's the best movie trilogy it's got to be in the conversation and mm-hmm. the born movies i mean I, if you would have had the born legacy be the only other born movie then i'd be like sure that the, the born trilogy is still a trilogy but all right. of a sudden they made jason born and the it man trilogy i thought it man was done and then they just came out with the fourth one the finale and the, and Lethal Weapon. I think the first three are pretty great. And then they made a fourth one. I kind of like the fourth one too, but like, just let your trilogy be your trilogy. Same thing with Toy Story, like we, like we already referenced earlier. But um, I really think for actually true three movies, I, I think uh, Star, the original Star Wars has to be in the conversation. You mentioned How to Train Your Dragon. Absolutely. Uh, that's in the conversation. I think the Avengers trilogy and like I'm I'm going to use that one pretty loosely, just because like I think counting Infinity I'm, War and Endgame is one. Counting them as one, but also like knowing that there are movies in between, and frankly, they just don't work if those are the only movies you watch. Right. 
Um, so I mean that I, I said the Jack Ryan trilogy, which isn't really a trilogy, but I've kind of narrowed down three movies of an era, and there are four Jack Ryan movies. But some of all fears came 15, 20 years after Clear and mm-hmm. Present Danger, and you have Hunt for Red October, Patriot Games, Clear and Present Danger, all kind of within the same era. I also love the Mighty Ducks, and I get that two and three aren't very good, and arguably one's not very good, but there's a soft spot, and we have to talk about the Cornetto trilogy if we're going to talk yeah. about best ones. Yeah, um, I don't know why I didn't reference the Cornetto trilogy, uh, because I agree with you. Maybe it's just because they're each different, completely different stories, they're completely different characters. I don't think of it the same way as the other ones, but they're spiritual they're a spiritual trilogy and they're referenced that way by Edgar Wright and Simon Pegg and Nick, Nick Frost. So yep. yeah, I love those three movies. Um, all of them actually, even the world's end, which isn't as good as the other two. I like it more. I watch it. I, when I, when I saw the theaters, I hated it, but I, really? I like it a little bit more and it's clearly the weak link of the three, but mm-hmm. I, I think it's, I think it's good enough. And I, for me, Planet of the apes, this trilogy, all three of them are 10 out of 10. There's no question in my mind, this is the best. And, you know, I hate to leave Lord of the Rings out of that conversation, but I just don't like Fellowship that much. Mm-hmm. And and it, it just brings it down for me. And I realize that's an unpopular opinion. And I, I know most people would probably say Lord of the Rings is the best trilogy of all time. And I say, you haven't seen the Planet of the Apes trilogy. Well, I have, and I still think Lord of the Rings is the greatest trilogy. But like okay. I say a lot, I'm not going to devote my time to arguing about Lord of the Rings when I'm not devoting an episode to it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I love... Lord of the Rings, and I love Planet of the Apes. Um, like I say, I say Inception is my favorite movie if if uh, the Lord of the Rings didn't exist. So I'll say the Planet of the Apes is my favorite trilogy if Lord of the Rings didn't exist. Okay, um, I'll take so, it. Yeah, that's that's how high it is. Lord of the Rings is just special to me in a lot of ways. Yeah, and I, so, and I get that. I just don't have that experience. Yeah, yeah, totally fair. Um, so let's get into a little bit more specific things. Or I have a few specific things to say about Planet of the Apes just as a whole. And we've we've hit on hit on it a little bit, but I think Andy Circus needs to be mentioned and gushed about for at least a few minutes. Oh yeah, um, because I was recently watching behind the scenes of the first Hobbit movie, um, where it was just showing him in his mocap suit with the thing in front of his face doing Gollum, and he made this face, and I said right there, that's Caesar, because. That's how sophisticated this motion capture is. That's how much it captures his performance. You know, it it is his face, even though it doesn't look like him at a glance. Um, I think what he's done for motion capture and what he's done for movies in general is incredible. So obviously with Gollum and then Caesar are his two biggest examples. But even with the 2005 or 2006 King Kong movie that Peter Jackson directed. That one's incredible. Also motion capture wise, as is uh, the adventures of Tintin, which really doesn't get talked about a lot, but I enjoy that one. I think it's a lot of fun. Uh, It's not great, but I think it's a lot of fun and he does whatever they did for that movie. I haven't watched a ton of behind the scenes for it, but whatever they did, he did motion capture and he brought that character to life through a physical performance and not just voice. And that's a through line through all of his uh, big name performances, at least leaving out like the prestige or uh, black Panther and Alfred coming up in Batman. But I think, I don't think this trilogy would work because we were talking about how important Caesar is. I don't think it would work as well as it does without Andy Serkis being so incredible 
and humanizing Caesar in a way that, you know, a lesser actor might not have done. Yeah, I comp- I completely agree with that. And I think it reflects in the original Planet of the Apes movies because those were people wearing monkey masks. And I was very aware that it was people making wearing monkey masks. To me, that felt like the intro of The Dark Knight. I'm like, these guys are about to go rob a bank. And it, it wasn't so realistic. And I, I don't think you get these movies at least doing as well as they are without them being released in 2011, 14, and 17 because motion capture technology has gotten so good. And War for the Planet Apes is so freaking detailed on mm-hmm. every little hair on Caesar's head. And it's it, it really shows. It's really, it's really captivating. You're absolutely right. If they can't capture all the expressions that Andy Serkis is making – there's no way this trilogy would be as good as this. You'll sit, you'll be sitting there watching War for the Planet of the Apes, which is obviously the best one visually, uh, just because that's where the the CGI is most uh, sophisticated. And I'll be thinking, like, is this National Geographic? Because that's how great, and like you were saying, the detailed hairs on his head. It's just insane how well it blends with. Um, the humans that that he interacts with yeah Uh, and one thing i was watching the the behind the scenes for war for the planet of the apes and mm -hmm. i didn't even think about it but they have to figure out how to realistically add snow to the fur and it's just something i never thought about until i was watching the behind the scenes and it's just because it's so good that i never thought about it yeah I, i was actually thinking about it when i was watching is it the one is it dawn where at the beginning uh they some humans attack the camp and then he lets one go. Yes. Yeah. So at the beginning that scene, it's raining and it's the same thing. They have to get the fur wet and make it look realistic. And especially Um, they're wearing war paint. So how does the rain affect the war paint? And yeah, it's, that's crazy good. There's just so much that goes into it and Weta digital, which has worked on a lot of stuff since Lord of the Rings. They, they are the ones that, that did such a great job with the visuals of these movies. And just like you can't divorce Andy Serkis from these movies, you can't divorce their, their visual aesthetic from that. Um, these movies also have great action, but like we've talked a lot about, I think the character work is what makes them so great because if we didn't have Caesar being such an empathetic character, someone that we're able to relate with, even though we're humans and he's an ape, um, we wouldn't, you know, we wouldn't really think of these movies as highly as we do. And I think that's that also might be why it isn't generally talked about. Because when you're, like we've talked about, when you're seeing Planet of the Apes, you're thinking maybe something more action-packed, maybe just something different from what it is. But the latter two, at least, um, stay closer to the spirit of the original, where it's more talky than it is action-y. Um, so you don't think of it as this big, great trilogy because they're just, they're not flashy. They're not flashy the way, like we were talking about, the Avengers might be flashy. Um, and not that Avengers are bad, but it's just different. Um, but I think the character work is what makes these movies so effective and why we both love this trilogy so much. Yeah, I think it would have been very easy for them to make this a a very action-y saga, a very action-y, tr- action-y trilogy, but... The restraint that they show in not doing that it just speaks volumes to uh, to why this movie trilogy is so good, like you were just saying. Do you think if they had continued with Rupert Wyatt after Rise, that it would have been a, like 
noticeably different than what Matt Reeves did? Uh, I mean, noticeably different, yeah. I don't know about how much of a notice because also if Rupert Wyatt was directing, then it would have been written still by Rick Shaffa and Amanda Silver, and which I believe they're supposed to be writing the fourth one. Mm-hmm. I think I, I read somewhere. Uh, so like they're coming back to the franchise. I just the second one and third one are written exclusively by Matt Reeves, and uh, so I, I don't know if they would have chosen to go as deep. I think, if I recall correctly, there was supposed to be a larger time jump between mm-hmm. one and two. And, but Matt Reeves decided to make it take place only a couple of years afterwards, or or maybe it was a shorter time jump. I, there was a difference when the movies took place, right? And uh, so I think, I mean, if if I'm wrong on that fact, and it was that it was supposed to take place immediately after, I think it would have been full blown widespread pandemic, and it would have just been Caesar experiencing the world rip itself apart. And I, I'm not really interested in that movie. I, I. I, I didn't come I don't love this movie because of the action which is itself great I, I I didn't come to this trilogy for the the San Francisco battle at the end of rise I came to this movie for the emotion that they display and that's why I think that the third one is the best yeah and I I completely agree with you and I brought that up because I think it might have been more action-packed if uh Rupert Wyatt had stayed on and it had been if all three movies had felt more like the first one because the first one has the big action sequence at the end. And it's and it's, like we were saying, it's more mainstream blockbuster, even though it is probably a tick or two above most mainstream blockbuster movies. Um, so, yeah, there we hit on the tone and feel of these movies. And that's kind of what sets sets this trilogy apart from all the other great trilogies that are out there. Um, yeah. So then let's get into nitty gritty specifics um, and go back and forth with some of our favorite moments. Looks like the first two that we have written here are the exact same for both of us. So why don't you start off with the first one? The Caesar finally speaking and shouting no is just iconic. And the first time I watched it, I I didn't understand. I didn't feel it because in my mind, the apes can talk. Of course they can, because I understand these, this movie franchise, but it wasn't until watching it the second time. I was like, this is just such a powerful moment. And it's, it's such a like Draco Malfoy must've just crapped his pants. Like in, <laughs> in, in his character must've just, you know, gone nuts because nobody's ever heard an ape speak before. At least like this in such a commanding tone where he understands. And so, it, there's also that moment of he realizes like I've been treating them wrong all the time. He can speak, he can understand. Like imagine what he's gonna do now. I mean, this ape is six hundred pound ball of muscle. Like he's just gonna rip me to shreds. And yeah. uh, it, it it's it's so powerful. It's so defining. It's so it, it sets everything in motion because all of a sudden you have resistance and you have apes trying to break this cycle of of mistreatment. Apes finally getting their comeuppance. Yep. Uh, completely agree. Um, looks like I only have uh, two overall from Rise because I think this one doesn't have a ton of great moments as it does like great sequences. Um, so the whole sequence on the Golden Gate Bridge is great. And there's, you know, the sequence of, of Caesar growing up with James Franco narrating it through his through his uh, virtual journals. I, I think those are all great. But as for moments, 
I think the ending is pretty much the, the defining moment for the whole series, maybe, with Caesar finally saying to James Franco, Caesar is home. Because yep. you just talked about, wow, the tables have turned now, they can talk. But now there's a whole another level of intelligence where they can form sentences and converse with you. Um, yep. So obviously that, that advances a lot by the time we get to Dawn. But this is the first inkling that, holy crap, Caesar really is that much smarter and more intelligent than everyone else. Um, and overall, it's a relatively, it feels like a smaller moment compared to everything else that was going on. Because like we were just talking about, there's a whole Golden Gate Bridge action sequence chasing after Caesar and the rest of the apes, the helicopter getting thrown off the bridge and all that. And then the, the apes are running through the 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 trees in the forest. But then all of a sudden it's just a small moment, Caesar and James Franco. We keep saying James Franco. I don't even remember his character's name. That's just why the I wrote James Franco. Yeah. In the notes. <laughs> it's just the two of them face to face, just speaking to each other. And I, and I love, I just love that. Yeah. And the, the thing that elevates that moment for me is it really encapsulates the theme of rise, which is trying to mess with the natural order because James Franco is going for that Alzheimer's, disease and winds up uh, the alzheimer's cure and he winds up creating this simian flu out of it and it's just like man is not meant to temper with the natural order of things and and this is perfect because caesar is not meant to live in an attic in a house with james franco he's not he's meant to be walking through the trees you can see it when they take him there earlier and he encounters the dog and uh, and he just wants to i mean he fears the dog because he's a little unsure what's going on, but you can see when, when they're out there, he's wearing a leash the first time he's out there. Mm-hmm. Apes are not meant to wear leashes. Apes are not meant to be housebroken animals. Apes, apes in their natural habitat are in the forest. And this movie is very clearly a warning of when you take something out of its habitat, and especially when you take something out of its habitat and then you mistreat it for dozens of years. Yeah, totally agree. And I will actually add one more moment from Rise. Um, I'll, just, I'll just name it real quick. I love that Caesar bites off someone's finger because it's the same thing that Andy Serkis does at Gollum, with Gollum at the end of Return of the King. <laughs> um, I just love little through lines like that. Uh, I'll go with the opening of Dawn because the opening of that movie is just an extreme close-up of Caesar's eyes as yep. it uh, pans back. Man, that's just chilling. Because you see the the leap of CGI for one thing, and then you see the intelligence in Caesar's eyes. Uh, I don't want to be reading into it too much, but I really think that you can just see that something has changed. That he knows what's going on. He knows how to lead. Uh, he's he's hardened. He understands uh, what to do to lead this this colony of apes. Um, it wouldn't be possible without the CGI to do it that well and that impressively. Um, and that leads to the rain scene that we were talking about earlier. And then it closes um, by zooming in on Caesar's eyes the same way that it opens. And I, I really love that. Yeah. I'm going to, uh, I'm going to go ahead and piggyback off of that. It's the same theme that you were just talking about, but uh, it's all, it's all about leadership and you can see Caesar's progression and it's, it's in all of the movies, but anytime Caesar makes the motion or says apes together strong, it's such a powerful message because 
the reason why the apes are continuing to, to survive is because they understand that everybody working together is the best way to survive. And the humans just don't understand that. That's why they're killing each other. That's why they're trying to extinguish any threat is because they're just living in fear of everything, including one another. And the apes realize with the metaphor of a stick, a stick is easily breakable, but a bundle of sticks is really hard to break. And it just shows Caesar's leadership and his intelligence. And it's just such a powerful moment. Anytime it comes together, especially when he just holds up his hands together and then rocket or whoever else just also choose to hold up their hands in solidarity. It's just a really powerful moment. Anytime something like that happens. Yep. I, I love that also just that theme altogether is great. Um, and then this, I don't have any good segue into my next moment, but I just love <laughs> the moment when Koba goes back to the to the humans in, in Dawn and he pretends just like he's a dumb ape who, who doesn't have the intelligence that all these apes have. Uh, this is actually a pretty dark moment when you think about it, but on its yep. face, it's just kind of funny and entertaining. So then he yep. takes out, I'll say, kill takes out, kills the, the two humans by fooling them into thinking that he's just a stupid ape when he's actually, when he actually knows exactly what he's doing. Yeah. I love this moment too. I I think, because I think it's Koba playing into his stereotype and taking advantage of that, finding a weakness of people's perception of him. And it's, you know, it winds up being their demise. And here's a good transition. Apparently I'm just king of segues today is I'm also going to talk about Koba in a different instance and it's Koba's death. And it's, it's Caesar has the opportunity to save him. And he's been trying to save him all movie. He's been trying to be graceful. He's been trying to be forgiving. He's trying to be a good leader that people want to see. But sometimes Koba's just got to die if for the community to thrive. And and uh, Koba even tries to throw Caesar's philosophy back into his face. And, and he says, you know, ape not kill ape. Mm-hmm. Can't do that. This is the one thing you've built this foundation on. Apes together strong. Ape not kill ape. But Caesar's plot replies like, you're no ape. And just lets him fall and, and kills him and Koba fall Koba falls to his death a hundred thousand feet it seems like in, mm-hmm. into a fiery abyss. But it's it's such a powerful moment of of Caesar finally understanding that sometimes leadership means making the hard decisions and sometimes leadership means uh, leadership and community means you can't have certain people involved in leadership or community. And God it, it's just such a powerful moment. Yeah, and speaking of powerful moments, there we go, transition. Um, this one is really quick, and I think I missed it the first few times I watched it, or I didn't think about it as deeply as I should, but baby Cornelius going up to uh, Carrie Russell and the the prejudiced human, I don't know his name, but he's like the, the guy who doesn't trust the apes at all. But baby Cornelius going up to them and just playing around and thinking, you know, Oh, these are weird looking apes. You know, he just, he doesn't think of them any differently than he thinks of the other apes that in his colony. Um, and I think that's a really important message. Uh, you, I've seen a million pictures of, you know, kids of different races coming together and not understanding that racism exists. And you, you yearn, you long for that innocence. And you wish that that, that could be the same for people our age all the way, you know, you know, just adults in general just people in general. Um, It's just that little message of we're not predisposed to hate each other. We're predisposed to, you know, to have good feelings towards each other, but we've messed it up. And that's why that there's so much strife between us. Um, 
and then it just plays through that with uh, Cornelius uncovering the gun that the guy brought in and it's perpetuating that idea that there's always going to be this strife unless we get back to that sort of idea that there really isn't any difference. We shouldn't be looking at other people in different ways. Um, but that's all been messed up because of thousands and thousands of years of human existence. Yeah. Yeah. That's a, a really, really timely message. I appreciate you bringing that into that. Uh, Cause it's not something I noticed until you just brought it up, but you're absolutely right. There's, there's that demonstration of, of innocence versus experience. And, and, and again, being, this child should not fear this human there's no reason for him to but but the human feel it fears the the child because it's an ape to him and he's had a presumably fairly lengthy life up to this point and he's he's been taught a certain way and it, it, it's an incredibly timely message really appreciate you bringing that up uh, i'm, I'm going to talk about something that is not going to be as powerful as what you just talked about or as cool as the thing that you're going to talk about next, but I'm going to say anytime that Caesar's window appears in Dawn or Home, the, the symbol that they have of a diamond in a circle, it's it's just really powerful to me because for two reasons. One is it, it, makes, it reminds me of Rise, it reminds me of the good times, and you can see Caesar kind of reflecting upon that, but, but really most importantly is... Because he's reflecting on that, he can, you can you you're reminded of the, of the progression of everything that's happened. Especially when you see the symbol in war, there's so much that's gone down. And by the way, one of the things I want to mention about the movies earlier is they really just they skip years and they just don't tell you what's been going on in those years, except for a couple lines of text. Sometimes mm-hmm. there's it, this movie trusts you to have the intelligence to fill in the gaps yourself, and I really appreciate that about this trilogy. Totally uh, but, agree. but, uh, it, th- and this is a, an example of like when you see the home symbol in war, and you think back to the you know Caesar's looking out the window and and wants to play with the kids across the street. I mean, so much has happened, and there's been so much growth and development, and and Caesar is who he is because of those experiences and because of the the care that he's had for me. The only reason why the apes don't just go out and just destroy the humans is because Caesar had somebody that loved him. And that, that symbol of home is a reminder of love to me. Yeah. Yeah. I love the way that you connected those things. And I will talk about that more later because I have that written down for yep. my favorite themes. Um, what do you think Paddington and Caesar would be like if they ever met? Because I just thought of the opening of Paddington too, where he's writing the title in the window. It, it just reminded me of that. Um, oh, I don't know, but I want to see that crossover. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Paddington. You know, Paddington would be really important to Koba. He would he would just give him all these important messages, <laughs> give him the the freaking hard stare, and then <laughs> there would be no no conflict in Dawn of the Planet of the Apes. <laughs> oh, I love this. Anyway, uh, to something completely different from Paddington. Which, if you haven't seen the Paddington movies, what do you do and go watch them? Um, the tank one shot in Dawn of the Planet of the Apes. That's just so impressive. You know, that's where they finally get into the action that probably a lot of people went to go see the movie for. And that's where they deliver. Um, because, you know, some people who want to go to the movies, I know people like this who don't really feel like learning anything when they go to the movies or thinking they just want to be entertained. Um, so when they're given the chance to be entertained. They're probably bored through the beginning of, of dawn. Then they get to just watching this ape climb into a tank 
and have have him you know spin around and take out all this stuff it's just incredible filmmaking uh great action filmmaking and it speaks to matt reeves's ability as a director and the cinematographer's ability which i'll pull that up now the cinematographer's name is michael sarazen i'm probably pronouncing that wrong but i just love what the two of them were able to do what's your next moment i think the 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 tank one shot and dawn i it's the best shot of the entire trilogy. Mm-hmm. It's it's so impressive. It's so it's such an interesting way to film such a chaotic fight se- fight sequence, and God, it's it's just brilliant. And thank God for Matt Reeves. <laughs> yes. The next thing that I was going to talk about is Bad Ape explains his name. So the rest of these moments are all going to be from War for the Planet of the Apes, and it's because I think it's just so strong. And it's Caesar. And Maurice and uh, no winter's left at this point, so it's just Caesar and and Maurice and Rocket, mm-hmm. I think. Encounter, yep. yeah, and Rocket encounter uh, this thief and Nova. and and Nova, right? They encounter this thief and they chase him back to this abandoned ski lodge. And when you find out it's it's an ape, also who all he did was steal the the Nova, th- this little shiny metal thing. It wasn't even it anything yeah uh, it's it's such an interesting moment because of a couple reasons one is this is the first time we have confirmation that there are other apes out there that were, that were exposed to the simian flu and finally have intelligence and so it just opens up the world so much and potentially infinitely more and so that's part of the reason why i like this but it's just such it's such a powerful moment because he, he his name is bad ape and you're just like, why is that? And then he he goes on to explain he's wearing this jacket from a zoo and he was in this zoo and he 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 points to the logo and then he like points at himself. He's like, bad ape. And you you understand that he thinks his name is bad ape because somebody's mistreated him and called him bad ape his whole life. And his whole identity is built around such a negative thing and Mm -hmm. and he doesn't understand i don't think he understands what bad ape actually means otherwise he would presumably change his name by the end of the movie but it's it's such a heartbreaking moment it's such a it's a moment that just makes you want to cry and especially because the score the score in war is just incredible michael giacchino is potentially the best out there right now but he uh it's it's such a powerful moment and it's such a, a beautifully done moment that i would i wouldn't have thought to put in there but again it, it kind of goes back to those initial themes of of mistreatment and of uh, of putting doubt of others especially if you're afraid of them and, and it's it shows the consequences of that and it's just, it's just so heartbreaking yeah um and along similar lines my next moment is when they find the video of james franco teaching caesar um in the third act of Dawn. Yeah, Dawn. Um, I think I, I always love when a, a sequel acknowledges a previous movie um, in this kind of way. Because like we were talking about, each one is so different with how the human characters don't really carry over very much. But I love that there's this acknowledgement that James Franco, his character did so much to shape who Caesar was. And I love going back to the attic and seeing everything, you know, broken down and dilapidated and covered in dust and all of that. But it's still there. 
um, just like it's still there in Caesar's mind because it still forms who he is as a character. Um, it's still a big part of playing into his his whole attitude on life and leading this colony of apes. Um, so I, I like seeing you know the connection between the two other than Caesar. I'm going to go back to Bad Ape for my next moment, and that's Bad Ape gives Nova his coat. This is very, uh, very quickly after he explains his name, but they're two very different moments. And it it goes to show that, first of all, Bad Ape isn't a bad ape. Uh, and it, it just shows this this humanity in, in, an, in an ape. And it shows this care for, for somebody else. And again, I'm, I've I've talked about this enough already, but humans trying to destroy humans and apes trying to build up apes and even humans at this point, the, the apes don't want wars with the humans, but the the humans keep on trying to create wars with the apes. And it's, it's just this really tender moment of, of somebody being kind to somebody regardless of their appearance or biological makeup or, um, regardless of anything that's different about them. I, I truly think Bad Ape sees Nova as one of them in, in that moment. And it's just, I'm trying not to get too preachy here, but it's just, it's just so, it's so beautiful. It's so powerful. Yeah, I agree. And preach away if it comes to you, because that's why, like we've said, it's the biggest reason why I love these movies so much, because they have so much stuff of depth to say. Yeah. Um. Yeah, my next moment is it'll, it'll be quick. Cir- Andy Circus is acting when his his wife and son are killed. Um, like we've said, Andy Circus is incredible. He's one of my favorite working actors. Um, and just seeing his performance in that moment when Woody Harrelson comes in and takes out his family, um, it sets the tone for the movie. It sets the stakes for the movie. Um, and it showcases just how great Andy Circus is. So I just wanted to bring that up because even though it's heartbreaking and gut-wrenching and you hate it for the character, um, it's perfectly done. Yeah. Uh, moving forward, I'm going to talk about uh, Nova. <laughs> All these kind of transitioning to one another. Uh, Nova uh, officially getting named. That's when uh, Maurice finds the, the silver Nova off of the car. And it, it's it's just such a good moment of somebody who's been struggling with, with identity, which is a big theme in this trilogy, but especially in war. And, finally getting getting that to, to where Maurice can say you are not this you are not bad you are not uh, broken especially since Nova has the mutated virus you are not you're not bad you're not broken you're not anything you're Nova and it's just it, it makes it brings a tear to my eye every single time mm-hmm. maybe it's because they cast such a gosh darn cute girl but <laughs> yeah yeah she's great um I love when child actors come in and own it and she does yeah. a great job like not being able to speak and all that's great. Um, and she, she has a little bit to do with my next scene, which is breaking the apes out of the internment camp. I guess you could call it. Um, I love, I love the the music in that scene um, on the soundtrack. The, the title of that track is planet of the escapes. And I, I really love that. Um, that, that whole sequence is great. Um, they find out it's going to flood. They have to get them all out. Then Caesar realizes what's going on. Just all of that is just so much fun. I guess it's it's a little bit longer than a moment, um, but that 
that sequence of who is it? Rocket, Maurice, Bad Ape, and Nova breaking out everyone else through well, and it, the hole in the ground. And it's so clever too. I mean, because it even relies on the the throwing of the poop, which again plays <laughs> back into that 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 uh, what I was talking about with Koba. Uh, distracting the guards it plays into that stereotype it plays into the the guards expected the apes to behave this way so they start to behave that way mm, because yep. it's it's what they it's what they expect and 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 it again winds up being his downfall so you're, you're right that, it, that that looks like it's straight out of the great escape and it's it's a really fun sequence uh real quick i was gonna go add, oh sorry yeah oh, i'm go. just gonna add one thing to that real quick is that it comes from one of my bigger nitpicks of the movie, which is how they discovered the underground tunnel, which is Bad Ape just literally falling into it accidentally. Uh, that sort of happenstance stuff always just kind of annoys me. Um, yeah, but if it was any other character besides Bad Ape, I'd have a gripe with it. But the way they true. set him up is to be a little ditzy. You know, like he might fall into the pit. Yeah. <laughs> um, I was just watching something. Parks and Rec? <laughs> yeah, I did think of that. <laughs> ah, forget it. Um, uh, yeah, go on to your next moment. I, I, I want to talk about Donkey's Redemption. Now, this is not Winter. This is an ape that's been with the soldiers for the longest time, and uh, he he's he's been kind of their workhorse, and he's been carrying around things. And it comes to this point during the final battle where they're trying to to kill apes that are, that are escaping, where he's feeding them ammunition, and he finally just decided he's had enough with it, and he winds up. He was supposed to. Uh, I think shoot a grenade launcher. Is that right? Yep. Or give the other guy a grenade. Right. He was supposed to give the grenade launcher to the, one of the humans so he could kill a bunch of apes. And instead he just winds up like self-sacrificing and killing a bunch of humans that were using heavy machinery weapon against the apes. It's just, it, it shows that no character is ever truly broken. Every character is, is able to be redeemed. It also shows um, a, a little bit of, of donkey who is seemingly potentially even grown up in this internment camp as donkey. Uh, we, we have no idea the history of this character, but uh, it, it, it goes on to, to also just say like, you can choose your side and, and there's always a spot for you if you want to come home. And it's just, it's a really powerful moment. Yeah. And the reason that some of the donkeys were over there was because they think Caesar wouldn't let them back. And Caesar knows how to be merciful, so that kind of goes into what you're saying. But also, um, maybe because he just killed Koba, maybe that's why they're thinking that. Right. True. Uh, yeah, that's why I love it. There's so much to unpack for all of these. Um, my next moment is just going to be Caesar running from the explosions and from the avalanche. That is just thrilling, you know. Um, not every moment has to be some super deep and thought-provoking moment. I just loved seeing him run away from explosions that he's blowing up. It's like an oil rig or something. And then him and all the apes escaping an avalanche that's all of a sudden caused by it. Um, I just think that's, it's super great. Um, yeah, that's all I have to say about that. It's su super thrilling. Yep. Uh, I'll go on to say the Colonel's death. I spoke on that a little earlier. It's just so poetic because the, when you find out that the colonel is, is dead, it's because he's holding this little doll that was Nova's. And since Nova has a mutation, she holds onto it for most of the movie, movie. So she would have transmitted the virus to that. And then she visits Caesar when he's in, in prison. She gives him some feed and she gives him some water uh, when he really needed it and was about to die. 
and then and she hands him this doll as a, as a sign of comfort as a sign of like you know this this could be the one thing that that gets you through this night and the the guards wind up confiscating it and it gets it gets its way to the colonel and it's the thing that kills him and it's just such poetic justice and it's such a beautiful scene and i, I really appreciate that uh, that they choose to show his death off screen, but Caesar even decides to be merciful in in that moment too. By uh, this this character that deserves to die a horrible, painful death, Caesar could have just sh- killed, shot and killed, which is mm-hmm. what he wanted. But he, he he instead chooses like, I'm not gonna take the gun with me and leave you no way to end your misery, but also like I'm not gonna do it myself. You're responsible for your own actions. Just. It's a really powerful moment. Like you, you now have to do to yourself what you've been doing to dozens of your own people. Yeah. It, like you just explained, it's a great moment. Um, my last one is actually going to tie into your last one. So it's just at the end, very end of, of war when Caesar is dying and Maurice speaks in full sentences for the full, for the first time uh, throughout the three movies, he's always known how to sign. Um, so you knew that he was, at least that level of intelligent uh, to be a good right-hand man or second command to Caesar. Um, But he finally speaks to Caesar at the end, telling him everything's going to be all right. The apes are safe. And I just think that's a really touching and powerful moment. And I, I really love that. Yeah. And like you said, it's going to play into my, I picked Caesar's death and it it encapsulates everything. Um, It encapsulates uh, Caesar, it encapsulates everything from Caesar choosing not to leave with the apes, but to go back and get his revenge on Woody Harrelson. Like I, I completely understand Caesar, but it's still such a heartbreaking moment because obviously he's not going to survive, even you know because the the army is coming. But C- Caesar needs that. They he needs that uh, closure in his life because this guy killed my wife and my oldest son, and I. I can't let that go. Caesar's very merciful, but this is the one thing that has just gone too far for him. And it's by the end, it winds up being really beautiful. And I, one of the things I really loved is this is not a typical hero's death where uh, there's a large funeral and everybody is sobbing and weeping. And gets to, everybody gets to say their goodbyes or this is, this is not one of those, um, like really glorified, like super big in paddle. That it's really subtle. It's really peaceful, and the only person on the side is Maurice. And Maurice doesn't even find out until it's too late. Like he he keeps it a secret. And and when Maurice finds out, his first thing is like, we got to get Cornelia, Cornelius. Like got to say say goodbye to your dad. You got to get somebody. And the he's he's not interested in that. He's looking at his people and he's seeing they're free and. I've led them to this place and I have faults in leadership. I couldn't not go back. And these people don't need me anymore. These apes don't need me anymore. They, they understand apes together strong and they understand people like rocket who in the first movie is, is not a, a character I want to root for. But by the time the end of war comes, he could be the next potential leader for them. Maurice is, is that character uh, or could, could also be that character, but all these apes have worked together and it finally shows off that Caesar was an incredible leader, but also like, he just can't lead them any further. 
Right. And I completely agree. It plays into the theme of apes together strong. Um, Caesar's done his job. They don't need that sort of figurehead because they know how to work together. They're finally in this sort of utopia where they can just thrive and, and build something new and good for themselves for themselves. Um, so he really encapsulates the whole apes together strong theme and message right there. Speaking of themes and messages, let's move on to our favorite themes and messages from the trilogy. So the most prominent one for me is racism. Um, like we were talking about with the scene with Cornelius baby ape going up to the humans. It's something that's learned. Um, it's not, it's not uh, inherited from from the people before you. It's something that you have to learn. Um, and I, I love the line from Caesar where he says, I chose to trust Koba because he's an ape. I always thought apes were better than humans. I see how much alike we are now. Yeah. The whole trilogy is just Caesar's, you know, his journey of understanding how much alike everyone is. And uh, it's the two sides. The humans weren't able to understand that, but the apes were. Um, and that's what makes them, you know, that's what gives them the ability to thrive because they were able to understand that there's no inherent difference, uh, when, when it comes to human racism, there's no inherent difference of the makeup of people. Um, there is obviously some outward just appearance differences, but when it comes to people, we're all people. And I love that, that message is really portrayed really well in these movies. Um, I recently watched the movie, the hate you give for the first time, which I thought was really great. And a lot of everyone should watch that, especially during these times. But what I found out is the thug life, like the saying thug life stands for the hate you give little infants F's everybody. Um, so these people were only made to be so prejudiced against the apes and vice versa because of how these people began to be conditioned. If there wasn't that terrible conditioning for people to be prejudiced against others, then we wouldn't have the problems that we have. But unfortunately, it's been uh, it's been carried on for centuries and centuries and centuries. But I think that's the most important theme that I've ever taken away from these movies, even though there's a lot of other great themes. Yeah. Yeah, I, I talked about a lot of these themes talking about the movies themselves in the moments, but uh, just exactly what you were saying is that biologically being a human is not the thing that makes you human. Uh, the, the way that they've reacted, the, the way that Caesar reacts, the way that the apes react, Caesar is the most human character in all of these movies. And, yeah. and, and he even comes, he's not a perfect leader. He chooses to go back and leave his people for a vengeance war. He's, he's, uh, he's sometimes a little bit too graceful. He's, he's by far, uh, he's far from a perfect leader, but uh, he is de- still the most human character. And it, yeah, it's exactly what you were saying. Yeah. Um, and then we've also talked about trying to play God with medication, trying like humans trying to tamper where it's not our place to tamper. Um, yep. Caesar's morality, ape not kill ape. You've talked about that a lot. Um, the nature versus nurture kind of goes into what I was just saying. Another line that I wanted to to highlight was, Koba learned nothing from nothing but hate from humans. So if Koba had been brought up the way Caesar was brought up, then they wouldn't have had any problems. But because he was brought up a certain way, he was nurtured to hate humans just the way 
Caesar was kind of nurtured to have an understanding of where they're coming from. So I, I really love the nature versus nurture idea. And finally, I'm going to just hit on the home idea that, that you brought up earlier with Caesar's window. Uh, I really love just the way that that, like you said, the circle with a diamond inside of it is brought along from the first movie to the second to the third. Um, because at the end of the first one, he says Caesar is home and he's out in the wilderness. But that kind of makes a like a fluid definition of home because he's always bringing that that symbol with him. Um, in, in the very beginning of the first one, home for him is living at James Franco and John Lithgow's house where he has that window where he gets to look out uh, and see see the world. And all the, that's that's what he thinks of his home being with the two people that mean the most to him. Uh, and the two that are the the biggest parts of his identity. And then when he gets brought to, yeah, the Draco Malfoy slash uh, William Stryker prison area, he he write, he draws the thing in, in chalk. You know, so he's always bringing that home symbol where he is. So it's the idea of bringing home and what home means. So home means this positive influence that James Franco and John Lithgow uh, provided him. Um, so that that's why it permeates so much of Dawn and so much of War, where the idea of home is the idea of being together with those that are that are uh, most important and closest to you. So I just love how that symbol is brought from one movie to the next, and the idea is just built upon each time. Yeah, I completely agree. I think that's a great way to put it. I don't have any other, like, I have a couple of these written down, but I've already talked about them throughout the podcast, so there's no need to, to rehash for the third or fourth time some of these things. Perfect. So just some other scattered things that we love about the movie. Number one is cinematography. We've talked about that a little bit. Um, there's the there's the flashy stuff with, like, the, the, the tank scene that we were talking about, but then there's just, like, the understanding of how to work with visuals in a movie just your mise-en-scene um it's a french term that i'm pronouncing completely wrong but in- mise-en-scene sure there you go um yeah they they do a great job in all three movies um i just think the cinematography is really impressive and you had a couple of things i think yeah i just war is the clear standout for me uh, i think that each of these movies are inherently beautiful in their own right but i, I this is the clear standout and i think it, it might it might be because of the snow it might be because motion capture is finally caught up to, to where they wanted it to be. It might be because of the setting or the experience that you're getting at. Um, it, it, or, or it could just be that it's a deliberate focus of the movie. This movie feels more artsy than any of the other movies, but not, not too artsy fartsy. This movie feels like film. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Completely agree. Um, then we, we both really love the music. I think the third one has the best music. It has that theme that, that kind of reoccurs throughout the entire movie. But I think all three of them have great music. Um, yep. the, the soundtrack is just really good. Like you said, Michael Giacchino, I think is how you pronounce his name. He has it in his Twitter bio because <laughs> because I'm sure people mess it up constantly. But yeah, yep. that and then the direction through all three. Matt Reeves is just great in Dawn and War. And then Rupert Wyatt, like we've talked about, did something uh specific to himself with the first one 
Yeah, the things that I, I put in terms of direction is, man, Matt Reeves really knows how to use a camera and he really knows how to begin and end a movie. I mean, Don has the, we've talked about the, the extreme close-up of Caesar's eyes moving out and the movie ends going on an extreme close-up into him. And and war begins in in a war setting and it ends in such a peaceful setting. It's the, the, the contrasting to one another. And it's... a. Uh, yeah, Matt Reeves really knows how to begin and end a movie. And Rupert Wyatt just really knows uh, a human emotion and human behavior. And he knows how to uh, to place a story like this in in a movie that so much of the success of Dawn and War depends on how good Rise is. And mm-hmm. Rupert Wyatt just completely nailed it out of the park. He, he walked so that Matt Reeves could run. <laughs> yes. Yeah, that's a good way of putting it. Um and then we've talked about the character of Winter, but I didn't know where else to bring this up, but I really love the character of Winter. I just think he's cool looking. The the white furred ape. Yeah, that's all I have yeah. to say about that. Yep, yeah, and you know, if you're going to go ahead and give a shout out to... I love Bad Ape. Yeah. Which I've talked about. Nice. Uh, so speaking of characters, let's get on to our Mount Rushmore. Uh, we'll okay. call it Mount Apes, I guess. Um, if you've listened to this podcast, you know I like to do Mount Rushmore um, so that'll be the four, our four favorite characters uh, from the three movies. And I think I like to mix in favorite slash who's most integral integral to the, the trilogy working as a whole. Um, yep. So I think that there's one who obviously is going to be on there no matter what. And we don't have to have any discussion about that. And that's I think there's the two. neighbor in Rise of the Planet of the <laughs> Um, obviously it's Caesar. Caesar's going to be on Mount Rushmore. It, I, I think Caesar and I think Maurice are both immediately. We don't even need to talk about it. They need to go on. Maurice. Let's see. Yeah. I, I, I think I would agree, um, with Maurice. He winds up bringing out, he, he's a really good uh, use for expository of explaining Caesar's motivation and action. He winds up being a, a, a wise guide in Dawn and war. He winds up being, uh, a comfort and a father figure to Nova. He, he is a true sage. Um, yeah, you've convinced me. So <laughs> the first two characters on uh, Mount Apes are Caesar and Maurice. And I want to have a discussion about the last two spots. And I think James Franco needs to be on there um, just because like we've talked about so much, his presence and his influence on Caesar kind of, goes throughout the entire trilogy uh it leaves he leaves a mark um and he forms caesar into the good person that he is so i, I kind of think that that james franco has to be on there you know i i think i would agree with you because he is my preferred human character of this trilogy he does something special and he like we've talked about before, he there's so much put on this character's shoulder, and James Franco does it in just such a loving way that it's totally believable the way that things happen. He's also like, I'm pretty sure Jason Clark and Carrie Russell aren't mentioned in War, and no, I, don't I don't think, think so. James, I don't think James Franco is either. But like, it shows when in Dawn of the Planet of the Apes when Caesar gets hurt, they go back to to James Franco's house, and there's like subtle clues thinking that he he would have been killed and we never officially know. But again, that's one of those things you just kind of have to fill in the gaps and you can see like an X above their door, which usually means an infected person lives here. Right. But um, 
it's, it's just a, it's a really interesting character. I, I think he's so important to this trilogy. I think as much as I like Jason Clark as an actor, as much as I think Woody Harrelson is doing something really fun here. It, if we have to put one human on, I'm either voting J, uh, James Franco or John Lithgow. So I'm, I'm totally good if we want to put Franco up there. Yeah, I think it would be Franco over Lithgow just because, I don't know, I think Lithgow is great, but I think Franco just has more to do and he influences yeah. the rest yeah. of the movies more. Um, of course. So I just looked it up and Will Rodman is going on the Mount Apes, not James Oh, the, the neighbor? No, he's the oh. James oh, Franco's character's name is Will Rodman. Uh, no, let's put Franco up there. <laughs> All right, fine. Will Rodman slash James Franco is the third member of Mount Apes. Um, And I would like to nominate Jason Clark for the the fourth spot, but we'll have a discussion about it because I don't know. I just think he brings that tenderness and he's so important to letting all the other apes see that humans aren't all bad. Um, I think Woody Harrelson is great and and Jason Clark, or I mean, Gary Oldman is great. But I don't think they bring as much to the movies and they're not in it as much. So they're not they don't have as much time to, you know, to leave their print on the movie. But I think Jason Clark, when I think of Dawn, I think of Caesar and then Jason Clark's character. Um, I just think that that human presence is really important for how that movie plays out. But who else would you think uh, should have that fourth spot? Unless you agree with me right here. Um, I, I, I like your sentiment, but I'm not gonna, I wouldn't put him as my fourth. I, because, okay. because I think that Jason Clark is a really important character for that movie, but he's not learning anything we don't already know. Hmm. He is essentially playing James Franco just without the experience of Caesar growing up in his house. He's, he's being the mediator. He's being the, the advocate. He's, uh, he's, he's being the, the person that's trying to, 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 to let both societies live in peace and like, yeah, I don't, I don't know that there's anything necessarily different about his character. I wonder if they even wrote it for James Franco and a scheduling conflict came up or something. I have no idea. I'm just speculating. And, mm-hmm. and they're just like, well, let's just make it him. And you know, let's, let's, let's do this. Uh, Cause also it would make more sense if he's not living with Caesar. I don't know. Um, man, you, you be, I'm, I'm really going to fight hard for bad ape on this. Even though he's only in the one movie, he's got such a powerful presence. He's the to me. This is Caesar's trilogy, mm-hmm. but Bad Ape is what elevates War for me to be the best because I think without him, the movies are all ten out of tens and they're all perfect. But Bad Ape's presence, his his innocence, his um, his struggle with identity and self, and his struggle with. Um, with worth is, is is just powerful and it's it's what makes that my favorite movie so i i get that he's only in one movie so it's it, it might be a little hard to consider that but he he's my pick you know i think you're right actually um i always just think of bad ape as kind of the silly character even though i do think of you know the characterization things that come along with him that you've touched on a lot here um but I think when we're talking about something that's integral to the trilogy as a whole, he kind of encapsulates 
one of the biggest messages of the entire trilogy. So, yeah, I think he he could take the last spot, making our Mount Apes consist of Caesar, Maurice, Will Rodman slash James Franco, and Bad Ape. Yeah, I think the the only other one that I would have really allowed slip would have been Koba instead of Bad Ape, but I. I don't. I know that the point is to not like him, but I've never liked Koba. Yeah, and Koba still is really important to all three movies. Um, yeah. So I think. Well, and Toby Kebbell portrays him brilliantly. He's he's the under underseen, the understated performance in this. He's he is the thing that people uh, constantly forget about in this movie because everyone's mm-hmm. like, "Oh, Andy Serkis is so great." Toby Kebbell is absolutely phenomenal. We've done this whole podcast without talking about him. He, he's incredible in this movie. He's he's an incredible uh, in the in the facial structure in the in the voice. He's he is on par with Andy Serkis, which is really hard to do. So I I, I could see either of them going in the last, but uh, to me, yeah, to me it's bad eight because he's he's just new and fresh and original and kind of kind of brings a lot of the heart. Yeah, and and like I said, does encapsulate all the, you know, the the themes because if Caesar is one side of a coin, I think Koba is the other side of the coin. So yeah. Bad Ape is kind of a good mix down of the two because of his history and everything that makes him who he is. Um, so how about in our Mount Rushmore behind Caesar's face is Koba's face? <laughs> yeah, if you go in Caesar's nose, you'll see a small carving of of Koba. <laughs> I also do want to give a quick shout out also to Karen Conoval, uh, who portrays Maurice, because that's the other big uh, motion capture performance. She does a great job also. Yeah. So just some last few things to hit quickly. Um, There is going to be a sequel to this with the Fox Disney merger. A sequel has been announced. Um, I guess it's going to be a follow up to war. And I still don't really know how I feel about that. I'll have to stop saying that it's one of my favorite trilogies and I don't like that, but I think a sequel could be interesting. Um, It would just be very, very different from these three because obviously the heart of them is Caesar. Um, Just like with Pirates of the Caribbean, the heart of it is kind of Will and Elizabeth. And once they leave, it really changes. So it would keep the constant of Planet of the Apes and seeing how, Apes Together Strong works, but then it would also lose Caesar. Um, So I think it would just kind of build the world a little bit. Um, How do you feel about this upcoming sequel? You know, I wanted more movies of these when it came out. Um, I I just, I want, I want this trilogy to stand alone and I want it to be, um, I want it to influence the future, but I, I think the best thing for the movie to do is to distance itself, to either make it take place like a generation later where you have some time that's progressed in between. So you kind of get some distance or to just make it take place like roughly 10 years in the future. And you have Caesar's son, Cornelius be the new lead character. Cause then, cause then what I would do is refer to this as the Caesar trilogy. Right. And then ideally another trilogy, which to me, I would still say that's a trilogy, even though it kind of goes against the rules that you were talking about, but I would still, I would still argue that, that, that there's that I, It'll be interesting to see how they take it, um, but I really think the best the best route is to say this is that, and there is so much more that we can do in the future. We don't need to 
and with Maurice still being alive or or Rocket still still being a a leader in that group you we could have we could have it be 10 15 years from now and Cornelius is the leader but you could also explore some interesting things with that such as how does Cornelius lead like his father or unlike his father since he didn't really know him very long how how similar is the 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 leadership quality that Caesar has and is Cornelius smarter because of Caesar's genetic line and direct exposure to the um, the simian flu, the ALS two thirteen? I think mm-hmm. the the it is Cornelius the smartest ape that has ever lived. I think Cornelius is a character in the original trilogy, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, he's not yeah. the the lead ape, but he's one who's kind of fighting for Charlton Heston's you know, fighting for him to not be looked down upon. Yeah. Yeah. What I would do is I would do a movie that bridges the gap between this and like take, takes it into the future a little bit. And then I would do another movie that, um, that connects it to try to get it to where the third movie of this is a straight up play the eighth reboot um, to where the end of this trilogy would be, the original Planet of the Apes. You'd have to do it differently, of course, because obviously we know this is Earth. We know all that, but seeing the astronauts come back and learn that from the apes' perspective. And it maybe what I would really like to see is the apes go wrong because they no longer have Caesar leadership, and which is where we're left off in the original Planet of the Apes. And these these apes have, have gone wrong and these apes are doing the same things that humans have been doing to them for years. And I think there could be I think there could be a really powerful message in that as well, because the one thing that I wholeheartedly believe about everything that's going on in this country right now is that we've been doing things a certain way for the past couple hundred years, and it's time to figure out new ways to do things. I, I think uh, that's not just true because for the racism in this country and for the ways that we're choosing to respond to that, but I also think it's incredibly true with this pandemic. I mean people need to be a little bit more aware of, of sanitization, especially in, in mass markets. And people also just, there needs to be some growth and, and just as a society being, being a little bit more comfortable, being a little bit more apt to, to move forward and to, to not go back to the way things were when this COVID-19 pandemic is over. There, there needs to be some growth and development. And I want to see, us reach that theme by the time that we get to the original planet the apes is not you've treated us badly for a couple hundred years now we're going to treat you badly for a couple hundred years it's that's that's not how justice works yeah i i don't have anything to add i really love your idea um i like you said i'd like to see something that's pretty disconnected from what came before but also still you know takes just a little bit of what we learned from it and is able to move on to do something completely different. So yeah, I think that's going to do it. Uh, we love these movies very much. Uh, it's some of our favorite trilogy, uh, film trilogies ever. Um, if you haven't seen them and you listen to this whole thing, go watch them. Uh, if you have seen them, hopefully you appreciated them a little bit more. Uh, Aaron, where can the people find you to hear more from you? Uh, there's several different places you can find me, but frankly, just the podcast, Civ Pop Writers Room, just search that in your feed. We're on Spotify, Google Podcasts, Pocket Cast, Stitcher, or Apple Podcasts. Uh, find that there, and once a month I talk with Robert about some classic movies, so 
make sure to check into those. Uh, you can also just find me on Twitter. That's at Schweitcastle, S-C-H, White Castle, like the restaurant that Harold and Kumar go to. Nice. And Aaron is definitely a fun follow uh, if you are interested in that sort of thing. So remember to go and check out my corresponding blog post from today about Planet of the Apes. Remember to go rate and review this podcast on iTunes. Um, it's going to help. It's going to help this podcast get more listenership and build a little bit of community. Hopefully, you can find me on Twitter at underscore Rob's Thoughts and on Instagram at Robert's Thoughts. And be sure to tune in next time for an episode talking about Christopher Nolan's filmography with fellow movie podcaster Anthony Watkins. But yeah, I just want to say thanks to Aaron for being a great guest today. Thanks to Luke for the podcast artwork. Thanks to Laura for the intro and outro music. And thanks to you for listening. Until next time, Caesar is home.